Please stand for the reading of God's word. This is a reading from John chapter 12, verses 37 through 50. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but for the Father who sent me himself, given me the commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is God's word. Amen. Jesus has given us good news. Great news, the greatest news ever, hope for the world. He's given us that message to share with the world. How are we doing? Are we bold or are we reluctant? We have a lot of good reasons to be reluctant to share the gospel in our culture today. So I hope that the passage we look at this morning will renew our enthusiasm and our dedication to evangelize and give that message to our neighbors and to the world. Let's pray. Our Father, your word cuts between uh, very soul and spirit. And I trust that if there's any listening this morning who do not yet know you, that your word would ring true and they would see the hope that is in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For we who are believers, we've heard your call to share that message. Move us forward in that by giving us insight through your word this morning that does renew our hearts for evangelism. Amen. <clears throat> Last week, we saw Jesus wrestling with his decision of whether or not to go to the cross. And we saw that he decided to go to the cross because of his great desire to glorify God and because his love for us, his love for humanity and what that cross would do for us. He cried out, Father, glorify your name. And God spoke back. But the crowd misinterpreted what they heard. They thought it simply thundered. And so we saw that the crowd continued to question Jesus and to reject him. In our passage, 
John picks up that question. Why, if Jesus is the Messiah, why would so many people reject him? And we're going to see in his answer and in the subsequent teaching of Jesus that one, we shouldn't be discouraged in evangelizing, being concerned we're rejected because Jesus himself was. We can trust in God's plan because God's plan often includes rejection. We can behold God's glory and the glory of the gospel. And fourth, we should love people more than we fear their rejection. So don't be discouraged. Evangelism can be discouraging. We might be praying for people. We may have been praying for people for years and we share the gospel and the answer is no, not interested or worse. And when it happens over and over and over again, we feel like failures. We feel like we're ready to give up. Well, let's look at Jesus' example. John 12, verse 37 as John opens this passage, he says, though Jesus had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Jesus lived among them and he did innumerable and incomparable miracles right in front of their eyes and they still rejected him. He did so many miracles that people in the crowd would say, we could never expect even this many miracles from the Messiah. He'd given enough proof. His miracles were incomparable. We saw in John chapter 9 when Jesus healed a blind man, they were all saying, no one has ever seen a man born blind be healed. In chapter 11, we saw a man who had been dead for three days and in the tomb come alive because Jesus called him out of the tomb. Nobody has ever done as many or as phenomenal miracles as Jesus. This group even heard the voice of God. And yet, what does John say? Though he'd done so many signs, they did not believe in him. So don't be discouraged if you share about Jesus and his miracles and his teaching 2,000 years later and people have a hard time of believing. Take comfort if your message and even you are rejected because Jesus was, you're like him. Don't be discouraged if you're rejected and rest in God's plan. John goes on to explain why Jesus was rejected. It was in God's plan. And he, he has to answer that question because he writes the, his gospel so that people will believe in Jesus. But you can imagine how difficult it would be for somebody reading his book to believe in Jesus when he's learned that the chief priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Essenes, the, uh, the Herodians have all rejected Jesus. That would be to, like today if you had 
progressives and liberals and the far left and the far right and moderates and religious people and irreligious people and legalists and hedonists all rejecting someone. Why would we ever believe in them? So John has to answer the question, if this is God's man, why does God allow him to be rejected? And the answer is in verse 38. They did not believe so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed which he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? John is saying that the rejection of the Messiah was prophesied. This is a rhetorical question. Lord, who's believed our report? Who's accepted the revelation? And the answer is two verses later. The servant was despised and rejected. You see, the rejection of Jesus wasn't proof that he was not blessed by God. It was an affirmation that he was because he's fulfilling a prophecy that unfortunately these religious leaders never understood. They never understood Isaiah 53 and the suffering servant. They never understood the prophecy was that he would be rejected. It was not just prophesied, but it was part of God's plan. John continues. For again, Isaiah said, He, God, has blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. It was God's plan that their hearts would be hardened. Now, this is a difficult passage. It's often hard for people to accept it. It's been hard for me to accept it until I gained a better understanding of it. But it leads to a couple of questions. If God hardens their hearts, why are they accountable for their disbelief? And the answer is because it is 100% their choice. It's also 100% God's choice. You know, we go back to the Exodus where Scripture says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. So we remember that Israel was enslaved and God was going to deliver them. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh and it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. Six times in Exodus it says Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Six times it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Three times in Exodus and one more time in Deuteronomy, it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So who hardened Pharaoh's heart? God and Pharaoh. 100% God, 100% Pharaoh. How can that be? I don't know the answer to that. But a verse that's helped me a lot is Deuteronomy 29.29. It reads this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The things that are revealed belong to us, to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. And so he says there's two categories of things. There's the revealed that we understand, 
when there's the reveal that we don't understand. And it's a secret thing that belongs to God. And so what we need to do is rest in the secret things we don't understand and follow what God reveals to us. Uh, one theologian likened it to two ropes hanging from a ceiling. And you pull one rope and the other one moves. And then you pull the other rope and that one moves. And somehow they are one, but they look like two. But if you would go above the ceiling, you would see that it is one rope over a pulley. But if we don't see that, we just think they're two unattached ropes and they can't be one rope. And so we don't think God could 100% harden their hearts and Pharaoh could 100% harden his heart because we don't see the pulley, the secret thing in the heavenlies that God sees. So we need to follow the truth that is revealed. And God is sovereign and he's sovereign over salvation. And we are sovereign over our choices. They are both true. That's why we are accountable, because we, out of our wills, choose to reject God, reject the gospel. But there's another question. Why would God include hardening people's hearts in his plan? And let's go back to Exodus. And we can understand why God hardened Pharaoh's heart, because the hardening of Pharaoh's heart produced miracle after miracle. Moses went and said, set my people free, God says. And Pharaoh's heart was, heart was hardened, and he said no. So Moses performs a miracle. God brings a plague on the land, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Plague after plague after plague until it culminates in the most clearest picture of the gospel itself, Passover. Only then is Israel released. And what happened? The world got to see God's glory. The world got to see God's love for his people. They got to see his power and they got to see the gospel revealed in Passover and that they were not free until they experienced Passover. How about in Isaiah's day? Why would God harden the hearts of the Israelites at that day? Because they had been rejecting God generation after generation after generation after generation and the world looked in and said, it seems like sin doesn't matter to God. And so God promised, you will go into captivity. I will discipline you. And so God needed to carry out his discipline so we understand that God doesn't just look the other way at sin. But he disciplines those he loves. And then he brings them back and restores them. It's very clear why God would harden the hearts during Jesus' day. Jesus' destiny was the cross. He had to be rejected to go to the cross. And he had to be rejected across the board. Because if it was just a few of the powerful people who crucified him... Others would risen up and Christianity's birth would have come from the sword 
rather than the Spirit. And so why might God harden hearts today? It doesn't say he, he is, but why might he? And again, I can't speak for God and Scripture doesn't reveal it. But this thing I do know, whenever we share the gospel, God is glorified whether people receive it or reject it. Because when you share the gospel, you are revealing the beauty and majesty and wonder of God. As I've been saying in the last couple of sermons, God is most glorified in the cross because there we see the depths of his holiness, the magnitude of his justice, the incomprehensible love that he has for us, grace, mercy, faithfulness to his promises. We see God in the fullness of who he is. And when we proclaim the gospel, that's what we're doing. We glorify God, even if that gospel is rejected. Don't be discouraged. Jesus was rejected as well. Know that God's plan does include rejection. We, we don't know if it'll be in our case or not. But if rejection happens, we can trust God's plan. Thirdly, behold God's glory. Imagine Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. He gets a vision of God. He sees the glory of God, the angels proclaiming that his earth is filled with his glory and so when God says who am I going to send Isaiah raises his hand send me he is so excited and that's when God says okay I'm going to send you and I'm going to harden hearts and I'm going to blind eyes so people don't believe your word Isaiah still says I'll go why? Why would he go if he knows he's simply an instrument of actually creating more hardness and more blindness? And that eventually he himself was martyred. In the Pseudepigrapha, uh, the, the martyrdom of Isaiah, it says that Isaiah was sawn in two. And that seems to be affirmed in Hebrews chapter 11 when it talks about martyrs who are sawn in two. Why, why would he continue to accept God's call knowing he would be rejected? Verse 41 tells us why. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. He sees God. He sees cherubim, angels, around the throne crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. And when Isaiah sees that glory of God, understands that holiness of God, and he looks at himself, he says, Woe is me, I am ruined. When we really see the holiness of God, we are struck down and we realize we cannot stand in God's presence. 
Woe is me. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. And then an angel goes to an altar of sacrifice, takes a coal, and touches those sinful lips of Isaiah and says, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine having a death sentence and then someone saying, no more. You are alive, you are healthy, you are restored. You are so grateful, especially if that person was the one who saved you. That's what Isaiah experienced. That gave him a boldness that would say, send me, send me no matter what price I have to pay. Sometimes we share and our gospel is rejected. We might be a little embarrassed. But the days ahead may be a little different. I don't know. But the way our country is moving, it's not moving toward Christianity. In fact, uh, one of the Supreme Court Justices, Samuel Alito, just this past week, warned against our country moving more and more against religious freedom. He sees something happening. We read more and more and we see it happening in the cancel culture. If you don't have the right views, you say the wrong things. You can be canceled. Could mean your jobs. That's where our country's moving. And Christianity, our views are not in the mainstream. They clash with the views. They are the types of views that are canceled. When we say Christ is the only way, that clashes against the idea of pluralism, that either everybody's in or every religion is the same. When we say that God made man and woman in his image, that clashes against this, the culture that is changing lines and saying, you are what you think you are not what God created you to be. When we say that we have a truth, we have a value system grounded in God, and our values go against the mores of our culture, if the cancel culture continues to grow, we can well be among the first ones to be canceled. So will we still say, God, send me? Only if we experience what Isaiah did. Only if we behold the glory of God and we know how lost we are. How deep our sin is against God. How we deserve the judgment of God for eternity. But that Jesus Christ took a touch of the cross to every place of sin in our lives and says, Father, forgive them. And then says, it is finished. I have paid the price for him. We need to experience that over and over and over again if we are going to stand firm and share the message of Jesus Christ as the culture grows against Christianity. Behold God's glory and the glory of the gospel. And fourthly, love people. As John continues in his passage, he 
cites Jesus' words, and Jesus talks about his unity with the Father, and if you reject Jesus, you reject God. He doesn't pull punches. Jesus is the way and the only way to God. But then he also describes three blessings for believing in Jesus. And if we love people, we want them to have these blessings. Verse 46, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Light is threaded throughout this book. It begins with Jesus as the light and the darkness could not overtake him. Our world lives in darkness. We don't like to admit that. We live in darkness in our view of God because either we don't believe in God or we reinvent God to fit precisely what we want him to be. But Jesus brings us the light and shows us the Father even in the way he lived and what he has done for us. We live in darkness because we think we're basically good. Humanity's basically good. Yeah, we do some wrong, but we really can't face the depths of our sinfulness. I've said this often, psychological defense mechanisms, blaming others, denial, reaction formation, on and on are ways we hide from ourselves. Psychologists see us doing all of these things. Why? Because we're hiding from ourselves. Jesus brings the light and says, yes, you are sinners but I forgive you and accept you. See, we can be real with God, first of all. And then because our acceptance with Jesus is what matters most, we can be real with each other. We are brought into the light. And the light brings us truth. It gives us the grounds for moral choices. It gives us the perspective of God in a world of darkness where all we have is limited human perspective that changes generation to generation, person to person. It's sifting sand. But Jesus brings us a light that gives us a solid foundation to build our lives on. Then he says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I don't judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The words I have spoken will judge him on that day. We are under the judgment of God. You know, when we share that, we are often seen as though we're judgmental. How dare you call me a sinner? How dare you say that I'm under the judgment of God? How dare you say that I'm headed to hell? Sounds very, very judgmental. Jesus said the same things, but about judgment, God's judgment. But he wasn't judgmental. As he says, I didn't come to the world to judge. I came to rescue. You see... Judgment's already here. 
come to rescue you out of that. When we proclaim the gospel, we may sound judgmental, but we're not making those judgments. We're proclaiming God's. And we've come to bring the message of rescue. If you see a drowning person, jump in the water and save them. If you see people under judgment, share the gospel. And then he says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Third thing, light. Rescuing from judgment and eternal life probably the greatest thing we could ever hear because death looms over all of us. It puts a shadow over our lives. And we can try to ignore it and deny it, but it's going to happen. But if you had eternal life, that shadow goes away. If you know there's actually something better that awaits you than this life, the gloom is gone. The hope is there to inspire every moment that we live. We have that message for the world. Eternal life is found in Jesus Christ and in his commandment. And notice he, he doesn't say in my commandments, plural. He says in my commandment, singular. Because very often people think, and most religions think this way, is God has a, a list of commandments, hundreds of commandments, and if I pass the test, and I don't know if that's I need to get a 95 or a 61, or if I'm going to be graded on a curve compared to everybody else, and the top 90% get in, I, I don't know, but most of us think that God's given us all these commandments as a test, and we have to score a certain percentage, and we're in. Jesus doesn't say commandments plural. He says commandments singular. You see, there's only one question on the test. It's do you believe in Jesus as your Savior? Because he's paid the penalty for your sin. He's the one that takes it out of the way. So we could have eternal life. We could be free from the judgment of God. And we come into the light. If we love people, we will share this message. Uh, I used this illustration or this quote a while back, and I've seen many other preachers use it. It's such a good one. And it's from uh, Penn Jillette, who's an atheist illusionist and comedian. And he said this. Again, remember, he's an atheist. And someone shared the gospel with him. And his response was, I don't respect people who don't proselytize, evangelize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and that people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If we love people, we will share.
Last week, we saw Jesus chose to go to the cross because of his desire to glorify God and because of his love for people. Those are the same two reasons why we should evangelize. Because it glorifies God and it's the greatest loving act we could perform for anyone. Our Father, we thank you for the richness of your word. May it resonate not just this morning, May it resonate throughout this week. May it renew our passion for evangelism. May we become people of prayer. May we become people who are uh, looking out for the open doors. And may we become people who are bold enough to share the gospel when you open those doors. Go before us to take that word, that gospel, and help it to resonate in the lives of people we speak to. In Jesus' name. Amen.